Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman. Today I'm joined by John Massey. John started his energy trading career with Enron and now heads the Houston office and is a cross-commodity trader for ECTP here in Houston. Uh, thanks for joining, John. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate you inviting me. Excited to have you on. Um, you are uniquely positioned, given you're a, a cross-commodity trader, um, to see the the impact of COVID-19 on the commodity markets themselves. What's been highlighted to you uh, in, in how they function and the state of the, the market currently? Good question. So, you know, obviously the effects have been significant. It's been more so uh, on on the mobile fuels than on the fixed fuels. And we've seen that in, in, in oil. And obviously the market is trying to, to solve for containment and feels better now than it did uh, a week ago. But it, it was two weeks ago where we had negative pricing in crude. And I think the implications of that um, are, are very significant, really very significant in, in multiple ways. Um, one is from a from a pricing perspective, how does one think about or how does one think about their option pricing models that assume a um, you know stop at zero? And you know, can we see this in other commodities such as 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 natural gas and others? And so I think it's a it's a really interesting time. Obviously, we've seen significant volatility, and we're now seeing the relationships between the markets. When I started my career, you know, it was basically a series of closed loops. Natural gas was a, was a closed loop. If you had the uh, the time and the resources and a little bit of acumen, you could gain edge in the market through information. And over the last decade, that's been much harder to do. But we're seeing, you know, now. A, a world, and over that period of time, you know, you saw the balance of liquidity tr- you know, transition from you know sort of a, a group of fundamental based traders to you know largely systematic trading, and you saw the discretionary managers uh, lose market share. And I think we're uh, you know I think we're seeing reasons to think that 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 might change as we move forward. Yeah, what drove those systematic traders, as you call them, I guess. Into the market, well, was you know when did that happen? What's been their role? Well, it's been it's been happening over the last decade, right? And their their how they've approached the market has changed from relatively simplistic uh, CTA modeling to to much more sophisticated uh, risk premium strategy, etc. Now, and and they've, they've you know a, a massive provider of liquidity to the market, and they introduce volatility, but it's not cyclical volatility; it's more transient volatility on a daily basis or on uh, event-driven basis, et cetera. So they've been a very uh, critical and important part of the market. And the reason the discretionary managers have lost share is that the edge in the market has been hard to obtain. The, the, the information that was once proprietary has now been dis- is largely distributed by third-party vendors. The market is largely aware of, of what's going on. But as you change the playing field, that's not necessarily true. For the last nine years, you know, we LNG hasn't been that relevant, right? So your your biggest, you know, if you, you iterate to production, that was pretty visible. And your biggest unknown was weather. Well, that's a, a you know no, less interesting thing to trade. Now we have a world where we're exporting 10 BCF a day of, of LNG, and so what price we're getting it in, in Northern Europe, or what price LNG is in in Japan and Korea is it matters, right? So you're seeing a world where you know prices domestically or what we'll call locally 
can be affected significantly by events that are happening somewhere else in the world or within another commodity. And like we're seeing now in, in, uh, in oil, right? The amount of shut-ins in oil due to uh, supply constraints and a demand shock are having effects in the natural gas market. So we now have a natural gas market where it appears to be overly supplied in, in the front. We have gigantic unknowns with uh, production and, and, and LNG, but we have a much more constructive view when we look out into next year and certainly into next summer as these uh, supply cuts continue to materialize, both through voluntary shut-ins and through capital dollars that aren't being uh, allocated to drill, right? So you have a, a natural uh, decay in production. So I think that's going to be interesting to see. And I think, you know, that's that's where we are. Mm. The You talk about the, I guess, um, loss of market share for those active traders, those discretionary managers. Um, how much of that has been driven by regulation as opposed to just reduced opportunity? I think it's largely reduced opportunity, right? I think uh, people's performance, um, you know, on, on a month by month basis became very difficult to, to, uh, to perform. Um, and I think the, you know, there was, there was other opportunities for capital and it left the space. I don't think a lot of it was, was regulatory driven. I guess those markets, as you're talking about them right now, are very much predicated on global trade, not being disruptive, whether that's by viruses or, uh, or, or, um, tarification, um, you know, trade wars that have certainly marked 2018 and 2019. Do you see, you know, a continuation of those markets functioning on a global basis, or will we just, I don't know, will we see a, a balkanization, more block trading, more national champions arising, kind of just a, a different landscape as we look forwards? I, I think the answer is we don't know, but I, I think the, the answer to your question is that it's, or the natural derivative to the question is that it adds to the risk factor. Right. When you're exporting 30 percent of your production, if for some reason, whether it be by market forces or or bureaucratic forces, those molecules don't flow, then all of a sudden it changes your balances very quickly. So to the degree that there was some tariff on on LNG and, and you know, the it wasn't the Atlantic Basin was blocking it out, you know, it would obviously have an effect on Henry Hub prices and, and possibly a very significant one, depending on you know, what the, what the local supply and demand balances were. What else has um, COVID-19 highlighted about the markets? You've seen, I guess, game, you, the negative pricing just seems very significant. You've um, you have wild swings as well as you talked about um, correlation between markets. What, what else do you see going on out there and, and why? I see the, the, the real fallout of, of COVID that I see it is that it's bringing markets more in balance than, than we've seen in, 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 in years past. And I think, you know, we sort of expected a natural decline rate in shale and the tightening up of the natural gas market. But I think that has really been truncated. And I think, you know, so I think we're seeing a, a playing field that's going to be much more interesting. It's going to be a world of um, much more abbreviated cycles, uh, price driven by fundamental moves um, on, on, a, on a more frequent basis. And I think... Uh, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting well i think the the negative pricing in and of itself is very interesting as well right because we've seen 
If you see what behavioral change have you seen, much of it you don't see. People who've lost money have moved on. You just simply don't know. But we've seen uh, the world of, of ETFs has, has changed. Um, when you look at the USO and you looked at uh, some of the other indices and how they broadcast their positions and the mechanics of their role, um, and then we learned more about some some uh, offshore ETFs that had large positions in in uh, in ice crude. It's a uh, um, you know and what 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 the effects of negative pricing is. It changed that market. It changed how they behave. So I think you know not only is is does negatives change how how people think about the market? It changed some of the mechanics of the market, and uh, I, I think that's you know, probably one of the most interesting interesting things, certainly in crude. And then, mm-hmm. you know, can we see that in other commodities? I, I think the the underlying assumption has to be yes. Mm. It's it's fascinating as well how so some of these events have been driven or at least um, accelerated by um, catalyzed by these. Um, exchange traded funds and other um, instruments out there, and that's had a real world impact, significant real world impact on you know, the producers, the physical um, value chains, um, many of whom have reduced or even exited um, active trading altogether, based on the reduced opportunity you talked about and some other regulatory um, potentials um, over the last decade. Um, do you think this will change their response? to trading groups, their, their response to how they treat the markets? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, obviously, it's not a universal statement. But I think, you know, I think when we move from a, a series of, of concentric circles and closed loops to a, a more globalized system, and a related system, you, you, your knowledge of the playing field has to be expanded, um, both from an offense and a defense perspective. Right. Even if we choose not to actively trade and engage and try to profit from it, we need to understand it to try to to not be harmed by it. So I think that, and then there'll be others such as as myself that will will try to profit from from these insights. Um, so I, I absolutely believe that you know the opportunity going forward, um, much of it created by COVID, but much of it really bringing forward what we think was sort of a natural. A progression of balance within within the energy markets, in particular. Hmm. I want to just go back. You mentioned, you know, the the difference between, say, natural gas trading at the start of your career. You know, over the last um, decade, for certain, there's been huge technological advances in all manner of, um, you know, the uh, the traded markets. Whether it's from attempts to automate um, mid and back office proces- processes, um, you know, work on more recently, you've worked on these um, shared ledgers and so forth, but also to the analytics, to, to everything. What's been, do you think, the most significant changes you've seen um, driven by technology in the markets these, over the last decade? So that's a good question. Um, there's been a lot of changes that are, um, I guess some are you know, driven by technology and Others were just natural evolution, but if you if you want to look at it by example, you know, we would have you know, twelve to fourteen people on a functioning trade desk at the time, and they were fan, you know much of what we touched was physical, much of the contracts that we did were bilateral, so there was a credit and legal um, uh, component to the trade. 
and we you know we would have a series of associates and analysts trying to you know to work and, and give us edge in the information world so today you know we have well, that same desk would be functioning with two or three people right that we'd have systems for all the back office all the the products that we trade are financially settled um so it's a relatively easy process to to audit and verify that the trades have uh, are consistent with your with your brokerage statements. Um, much of the information that we have, we do our own independent research as traders and that we, we can buy from third-party vendors. So um, from a you know perspective of, of how many humans you need and what is the total cost to get to the same position, the answer is is, is a very significant decline. And I think that, you know, I think that that industry would, would, would validate that. that comment. And it seems like, you know, a lot of that was driven by that reduced opportunity over the last few years. Um, it's pleasing to hear that that might be a trend that's changing. Um, but um, it seems that, you know, those organizations that didn't catch up with, take advantage of the technology to reduce overheads. Um, those are the ones that kind of, exited the market first. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's a very you know, if you, it's a very simple cost structure to uh, you know, for us to to run a speculative commodity trading business um, because we've been able to to reduce our costs and largely, you know, replace them with 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 systems and and have traders that are self-reliant on their for their own analysis. I guess will that change if, you know, you are seeing this globalized nature of, you know, natural gas um, you know, crude was already globalized, but I guess a, a more globalized commodity market. Does that change if you start needing to have people in these, um, in the regions, in 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 um, global locations to to sort of aid that price discovery? Yeah, it's a function of return profile, right? And return profile will be a function of, of volatility and the cyclical nature of the uh, boom and bust in price. So, to the degree that the amplitude and the duration uh, of the moves want um, people, you know, uh, allocating capital to it, then then the associated people that go with it will, will have to be. But I think the market is going to be somewhat hesitant, right? I think, you know, to to acknowledge that the market is in balance, right? If if you if you think about pre two thousand nine, you know, not only was it a closed loop, but we were in a world where we believed we were short, uh, chronically short or constrained natural gas, right? And the advent of fracking that we that's not necessarily the case we all acknowledge that there's molecules in the ground and at the right price and the right market signals they'll be uh you know they'll, they'll be extracted so therefore it's just a function of, of time and money to solve uh for high prices and then that gets back to okay what are the signals that the market needs to extract those um are her rates higher right are we are we going or uh, credit constraints going to uh to slow that process, et cetera. I think time time will tell, but I think generally speaking that the excess of capital that we've seen allocated to the space specifically in shale drilling, um, you know, I think the, the deterioration of that um, is real. And so therefore we, we were transversing back to a world of, of balance between uh, supply and demand. And, I think that that's it's going to be a very interesting uh, place to be for the next five years. What do you think? So, taking that um, as you look forward over the next five years, do you think more people will come back into 
trading, active active trading, um, do you, an increased opportunity for people? I do. I do. I, I don't, uh, you know, what they look like and, and how fast they get here is, is, is a, is a different debate, but I, I definitely think the opportunity slate is much more interesting. I think the market will get the memo on that. And I think capital will be allocated. It, you know, capital is very efficient. So I, I believe that there will be uh, more people in this business a year from now than there are today. Hmm. There's always been, and this might be a bit of a, an unfair question to ask, but there's always been somewhat of a divide between, I guess, the physical and financial traders. I know in your career, you've, you've done both and, and, and have that somewhat rare lens. Um, do you think, uh, and, and many trading houses, especially you've kind of seen this consolidation of the big traders over the last decade, you know, have sought most of their opportunities in the physical market. Um, do you think that there is a, oh, and I'd also add that it seems that when you've had these shock movements, it's usually been the derivatives traders that have really suffered. Um, and you don't really have a stellar record from hedge funds in the commodity space over the last decade either. Is it possible to be a trader just on the financial side or do you really have to have at least that deep physical knowledge as well? Um yeah, look, I, I think groups such as ourselves have proven that the financial model works, right? We've we've been around for uh, you know uh, so close to seven years, and uh, the energy group has a very strong track record. So I think you know it's a function of how you populate it. And when you look at the hedge funds that have, have underperformed, they've largely been um, aggregated to a single manager or a group of two managers who've made very large concentrated bets. And it's sort of a non-linear return profile. It's not something that can be replicated on a monthly basis. So it's you know from a from that perspective, does it lend itself to a traditional hedge fund model? Um, that's subject to debate. But I think if you look at the portfolio of having a, a balanced group of traders who really understand risk management, who really understand the fundamental uh, the the physical nature and equally as important, the uh, financial positioning within their markets. How are the ETFs set up? How is the, what are the dynamics of money and money flow and recognize that as a significant driver of price, um, you know, can succeed and, and can, and can, uh, you know, can, can win and, and do quite nicely. So um, yeah, I, I think that I don't think having, uh, a lack of physical assets is of, of much relevance to one's success. Mm. I guess there's certainly that, you know, the, on the physical side, there's been always this um, demand for highly specialized talent, you know, people who not only know a particular product well or slice of the barrel, but also even, you know, the region that, that it's um, particular to and so forth. You, um, you, in your career, you've you've made the, the transition to trade different commodities. Um, how hard has that been? Is that a is is there some is that, is that an easier transition these days with the correlation? I think it's dependent on the person, right? All the markets are the same, but they're different, if you will, right? So the the basic uh, decision making framework by which you can overlay a market is can be relatively similar. Right, the underlying understanding of of what those are is is something that involves 
more time, right? So if you, you know, you have to have a natural sense for markets, you have to have uh, a desire to learn, and you're probably going to place pay some tuition along the way. So, you know, it's generally speaking, um, you know, something that's a low probability of success for people to migrate off of their specialty. But we certainly, we've certainly uh, seen it. Yeah, I think that's is most relevant when obviously actually the trader is also very customer facing, you know, service providing, you know, relationship based. You know, I think of say physical metals and some other examples of that. Um, where obviously actually the, the specialization lies in your connections and the, the, the customer relationships you've built up. Um though I guess the reason I ask is that if there is a um, we have a, the next um, five years a, a growth, a return to active trading, desks and people, and an, an increased opportunity. You know, it, the the question immediately arises: is where where are these people going to come from? Because you know, you alluded to yourself. There's been a, a consolidation over the last ten years, but also technological changes have meant that there are fewer people required to support a desk, and those people were also traditionally the um, um, where the, the the next generation of traders came from, um, you know, it does seem very much like the same names and people around as were ten years ago, um, and there really is a, a generational gap. Well, I think that's true, right? I, I don't think there's been a, a generation behind us. There's uh, that are a fundamental focused group, um, and you know that's the reality. This isn't the first you know, first time that's happened. So, uh, will the market be short good traders? You know, maybe for a period of time, the answer is yes, right? But I guess my underlying view is that when there's opportunity, there's plenty of smart people that will will figure it out. So, will you know, it, will the opportunity slate be big enough to to you know bring in the next generation? That's to be determined. Mm. And finally, do you think there's anything you know, not necessarily trading related, but is there anything in your organization or the markets themselves you think that will that COVID nineteen um, will create a uh, has created a lasting impact on? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I would tell you uh, personally, one of the most interesting things that that I've seen is is our ability to maintain our information networks, the continuity of our business lines with everyone working remotely. Um, you know, maintaining uh, a view on the market, maintaining risk controls, maintaining. Uh, a, a relevant head and in maintaining uh, risk is it's performed significantly uh, better than than I would have projected for everyone sitting at home uh, for the last you know a month or so. Yeah, I mean, I think just talking about HC, we've been surprised how well it's worked as well. Just working from home, um, I think you do have a leg up in being a relatively small organization. Um, in the big grand scheme of things, spread over quite a few, a number of locations. You know, even in North America, you guys have two offices, right? Right. Um, so you automatically have processes and tools and systems in place that, you know, mean you can collaborate online. Um, and really, it's just a, a shift to the, using those permanently. Um, I think what we've seen is organizations that perhaps are more regional um, or are more, um, have more sort of, uh, it's don't have that sort of any of those systems in place, you know, very much more face to face driven. Um, you know, I think have struggled a bit more, but if you've already, you know, operated like that, 
I think it's a relatively easy transition and people have been surprised how effective it's been. Um, you know, and, and the, what I've, I guess I've been surprised about is the, the ease of transition into just going to video conferences, you know, um, and I think that will have a lasting impact both on the work environments we create, but also the, um, you know, how we, how we operate. I think the challenge is probably be the same for us as it would be for you is if everyone moved to this, you know, a more virtual office working from home or office flexibility, how do you train that next generation? Um, you know, where trading is a, it sits within kind of the professional service category where you are, um, you know, typically it's more of an apprenticeship. Yes, there's, there's skills to learn and there's trader training courses and all the rest of it. But much of that knowledge gets built by sitting on the desk, working in operations and support and kind of shadowing senior traders. Um, how do you recreate that if actually you've, you've moved to a more, um, just meeting space type environment where most people's days are spent at home? Yeah, and I think there's look, there's no substitute to being on the trading floor, right? Just the uh, openness of it, the inherent dialogue, the, the flexibility of the dialogue, the spontaneity of the dialogue, um, the energy of the dialogue, uh, the flexibility of the dialogue. All of these things are a very dynamic um, communication set, as, as are the markets that we participate in. So I think there's no substitution for that. I think we've just proven that let's hope we don't have to do this again, but you know to the degree that there is a a mandate that people work remotely that the business can function and that there is continuity and that it's largely uninterrupted, so I think it's more of a you know this is interesting thing, and then I think you know for people's ability to sort of say, "Hey, I want to you know take a month off in summer." And I'm going to go work out of my house in where Florida, name of Colorado, wherever. And I, I think there'll be more of a willingness from a management perspective to sort of say, okay, I get that. So I think not necessarily for trading is it a substitute or a replacement or even a, a you know, a, a trend to to uh, disaggregate the trading function. I think I think it's just a an interesting bike product and adds flexibility. Yeah, and that you know may be important for talent going forwards. If there is a, a a renaissance in you know the energy trading markets, um, you know, there are lots of people who have uh, you know settled or retired in different locations. You know they've they've gone to their dream state. If you're in the United States or elsewhere around the world, you know enticing them back might be uh, might be hard. But now you've got the facilities. I guess the trust in working remotely. You know you can employ these people and keep them in their location of choice i think that makes sense yeah well it's been real fun um thank you for coming on 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 the podcast and it's been great talking to you and catching up um you know i hope we can uh, have the same discussion uh, in a year's time and, and see what the real world impacts have been of of this uh strange time great thanks Paul. i appreciate your time yeah stay safe and yeah look forward to uh, further conversations